Searching for extraterrestrial technosignatures among the stars. This week on Planetary Radio. I'm Sarah Alahmed of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. Are we alone in the universe? It's one of the greatest mysteries, but we're about to share a new opportunity to join in the search for life off of Earth. This week, Jean-Luc Margot and Megan Lee from UCLA join us to discuss the release of their Planetary Society's step grant-funded volunteer science project to search for intelligent life off of Earth. And Bruce Betts will let you know what's in the skies this week and what's up. In space news, NASA and ISRO, the Indian Space Research Organization, announced last week that they will expand their cooperation. The partnership will involve joint efforts and civil space activities, including training an Indian astronaut at NASA's Johnson Space Center and future cooperation on NASA's Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program, which sends research payloads to the moon aboard commercial lunar landing vehicles. Astronomers using the Calar Alto Observatory in Spain have detected a new Earth-like exoplanet that orbits in the habitable zone of a red dwarf star just 31 light-years away. The habitable zone, or Goldilocks zone as some people like to call it, is the region around a star where conditions are suitable for liquid water to exist on the surface of planetary bodies. We don't yet know if there's water on this newly discovered exoplanet called Wolf 1069b, but it is the sixth closest Earth-mass habitable zone exoplanet ever discovered. The James Webb Space Telescope, or JWST, has made an unexpected discovery. A team of European scientists observed a previously unknown asteroid measuring around 100 to 200 meters in diameter. That's approximately 320 to 650 feet across. The discovery was made when they were looking at calibration images from the Space Telescope's observations of a completely different asteroid in the main belt. These kinds of small main belt asteroids aren't well studied because they're so hard to observe. But once more, JWST has proven its ability to change the game. You can learn more about these stories in the February 10th edition of the Planetary Society's weekly newsletter, The Downlink. Read it for free or have it sent to your inbox every Friday at planetary.org downlink. The Planetary Society has supported innovative science and technology projects that advance space science and exploration since we were founded. It's just one part of our larger efforts to explore worlds, find life, and defend Earth from dangerous asteroids. With the support of our members and donors, in 2021, we were happy to announce the creation of our newest grant program, the Science and Technology Empowered by the Public, or STEP grant program, which selects new proposals for funding roughly every two years. And last year, we awarded our first two STEP grants. One was a planetary defense project to use a new technique to study near-Earth asteroids. And the other project, led by Jean-Luc Margot at the University of California, Los Angeles, or UCLA, is a volunteer or citizen science project to search for extraterrestrial techno-signatures in radio data. Whether there's life elsewhere in the universe is one of the fundamental and unanswered mysteries about our reality. But more than that, we want to know if we are unique in our intelligence and technology. Are there creatures out there among the stars searching for us as we search for them? Can we detect their technology from a distance? And how do we differentiate between potential signals from extraterrestrial life and the sheer volume of radio noise humans broadcast each day on Earth? The search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or SETI, is challenging to say the least. But that's part of why this specific project spoke to us. 
The Are We Alone in the Universe project harnesses the power of volunteers around the world using the Zooniverse platform to help search through radio observations taken by the 100-meter Green Bank Telescope in West Virginia, the world's largest steerable telescope. It gets us one step closer to solving one of the most profound questions in science. Today, project lead Dr. Jean-Luc Margot, who heads one of the leading searches for extraterrestrial signals at the UCLA SETI Group, and Megan Lee, a graduate student working on the project, join us to share the new and exciting debut of their volunteer science project. Jean-Luc is a professor in the departments of Earth, Planetary, and Space Sciences and the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UCLA. Megan Lee is pursuing a PhD in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Volunteer science projects, more popularly called citizen science projects, allow members of the public to collaborate with professional scientists to process large data sets and look for complex patterns. For this interview, Jean-Luc and Megan requested that we use the term volunteer science projects to make it clear that everyone on Earth, no matter their citizenship, is welcome to participate. Welcome to Planetary Radio. It's great to be here. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Congratulations on winning one of the first ever STEP grants and on the release of your SETI Volunteer Science Project on Zooniverse. Thank you. We're really excited. Megan, can you tell us briefly, what is the Are We Alone project? Are We Alone in the Universe is a volunteer science platform hosted by Zooniverse, where volunteers from all ages, from like 10 plus, can sort different radio signals into various categories to help UCLA SETI with our search. So awesome. I love that everyone can get involved in this. And I know it began as a SETI course at UCLA, and you taught that for many uh, years. Is that right, Jean-Luc? Yeah, so at UCLA, we've been teaching a full-length uh, SETI course about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence since 2016. Uh, it's been a really exciting course. Uh, we think it's the first course of its kind. It's also the most regularly offered course of its kind. And we've reached um, 120 undergraduates and about 12 graduate students so far with the course. That's wonderful. I would have loved to take that in undergrad. <laughs> what do students actually do? Is it a more about is it more about the search and how you do that search, or is it a hands-on, get involved in the research, look at the data kind of class? So the UCLA SETI course is a team-based, project-based, hands-on class, learn by doing kind of class. And in this course, students design an observing sequence for the Green Bank Telescope. We observe remotely with the Green Bank Telescope. We collect terabytes of data, we download the data, and then students in small teams write code to analyze the data, do the analysis, and ultimately we write uh, peer-reviewed publications with the results of the search. So it's a really exciting class where students get to do a project essentially from A to Z, from the design of the program to the writing of the publication. That's so cool. And I know you haven't had a chance to actually take this course yet, Megan. So how did you get involved in this project? First, I'm very excited to potentially either take this course or TA it in spring. So that would be next quarter for me. Um, but I became involved in this project when I applied to be Jean-Luc's grad student last year. I was looking for grad programs and two of my passions are both SETI and public outreach. I've been involved with public outreach for the past few years. So when I found out that this position was sort of a mix of both, I was super excited to join and I reached out to Jean-Luc and that's how I got here. I love that you chased the thing that made you happiest in your heart. Hiring Megan as a graduate student was only possible because we were awarded a grant from NASA to search 
for techno signatures. And this is one of the rare grants that NASA has awarded to enable the search for techno signatures. These grants make a huge difference. Just one grant can really bring more people onto the team and really expand the effort, which is wonderful. And that brings me to my next question, which is that you knew you wanted to take this project and make it a volunteer project online for people to actually delve into the data and get involved. But to do that, you needed funding. So how did you learn about the Planetary Society's step grant program? Well, I'm a proud member of the Planetary Society. I got the announcement and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. There's a small grant program to enable new science initiatives. And I wonder if this collaboration with volunteers that I've been dreaming about for years would be a good fit for that program. So I read more about the proposal submission guidelines and I thought, yeah, I think we have a shot. And uh, we submitted a pre-proposal and, and a full proposal. and. We're thrilled that we were selected. Part of the motivation behind this project is not just getting volunteers involved with this, but hopefully inspiring a whole new generation to take an interest in science. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jean-Luc? That's right. This project is doable by school-age kids. And one of our hopes is that some kids out there who come on a platform and learn to classify signals and learn about the science behind it, become excited about science or engineering in general and decide, hey, this is an interesting area and I would like to pursue this. I would have eaten that up as a child. <laughs> in the past, when I've worked on projects like this, it's usually in part because there's just so much data that it's hard to comb through or because the thing that you're looking for in the data is difficult to pinpoint without human brain really looking at the data. Are you just getting a wealth of information out of the Green Bank Telescope and, and that's why you needed to bring more people on board? So we get, as I mentioned, terabytes of data from the Green Bank Telescope. And when we analyze these data, we're looking for narrowband radio signals. That means radio signals that occupy a very narrow range of frequencies. And when we run our algorithms, we detect millions of them. Of course, most of these are produced by human technology. We call it radio frequency interference, or RFI for short. And we have developed algorithms that allow us to recognize the radio frequency interference in 99.5% of the cases. So we run this algorithm and it eliminates 99.5% of the signals. But then when you have millions and millions of signals, that 0.5% still amounts to tens of th thousands of signals, right? And so those are the signals that we're putting on the platform. These are the most interesting signals that have not been ruled out as radio frequency interference by the automatic uh, algorithms. And we're asking volunteers to help us look at these and classify them. And Jean-Luc, can you explain a little bit about what a technosignature is and how this kind of search is different for looking for biosignatures on other worlds? Sure. We're looking for the existence of another engineer somewhere in the galaxy or, the, or beyond. Whereas in the biosignature field, you're looking for evidence of biological activity, metabolism, and so on. I think that the search for technosignatures has four compelling advantages compared to the search for biosignatures. Um, I'm really excited about the search in, for life in general. So I support uh, the search for biosignatures completely and fully. But 
these kinds of searches are expensive, right? If you think about the James Webb Space Telescope, if you think about the samplers, uh, the sampling missions on Mars, they both cost $10 billion, right, on that order. I think the search for thickness signature, in contrast, can be done with much smaller budget, right? So if you think about maybe $10 million a year, we could have a very, very robust search for technosignature. So the first advantage is cost. The second is search volume. All the searches for biosignatures right now are confined to a very, very small bubble around the sun. We're looking at a handful of places in the solar system, and we're looking at dozens of exoplanets that are very close to the sun. Whereas technosignatures gives us access to the entire Milky Way galaxy or even beyond, right? So the volume uh, of the search space is something like a million times larger for technosignatures than it is for biosignatures. The third advantage that I like to mention is the certainty of interpretation. In many cases, a biosignature has false positives, right? It can be confused with a geological process. And there's lots and lots of uh, debate right now about how we're going to address this when we first get our, you know, our oxygen signal, how are we going to disentangle that from other processes that are not due to life. In contrast, the search for technosignatures has several ways of giving us signals that are going to be extremely compelling. For instance, if we find a narrowband signal, that kind of signal occupies a small range of frequencies, we know that nature doesn't produce these signals. So there is no false positive. And if we detect such a signal from a specific direction on the sky, it's going to be really compelling evidence. And finally, the fourth advantage that I'm really excited about is that if we detect a signal, there might be a message encoded in there, right? And so the potential for uh, discovery and advance in knowledge is absolutely phenomenal. Well, if people do want to get involved in helping volunteer for this project, you talked about it a little bit, Megan, the images and stuff they're going to be going through. What's the step-by-step -step process for someone who gets involved in this project? First, you should go to our URL, arewealone.earth. There you will sign up for a Zooniverse account. And then afterward, you can immediately begin classifying. So your screen will give you a radio signal on the left and a few uh, simple answer questions on the right. So you'll just answer if the signal is mostly vertical or horizontal. And if somehow you manage to find a signal that doesn't match any of our categories, uh, you get to click the very special other button. And other is very special because it may be ET, it may be something completely different. And Jean-Luc and I will take a much closer look at any signals that are marked other. I want everyone to know that I will be linking to the Zooniverse project on our Planetary Radio page for this, uh, for this episode. So you can either find that at planetary.org slash radio, or as Megan said, you can go directly to arewealone.earth to find this project. I know too that your team as part of this project is hiring a bunch of undergraduate students to engage with Zooniverse volunteers and really kind of hype them up. How many students are you gonna be hiring Jean-Luc and what's their role in this project? So we've hired four so far and we're possibly looking for more. They're all really interesting uh, UCLA students. Uh, we have mostly astrophysics major, also a cognitive science major. They're going to help us engage with the volunteers, monitor the talk boards, these bulletin boards where people post questions, uh, provide guidance, help answer questions, you know, maybe write about the experience of the team. So uh, we're just all really excited um, to engage with the public and um, 
it's great to have these uh, students on board. And again, it wouldn't have been possible without the support of the Planetary Society. So we're extremely grateful. Something that I think is so powerful about these kinds of volunteer science projects is that it allows us to comb through a lot of data that is difficult to process by computer, but then we can use human analysis to train these computer learning algorithms that then make it easier for us to do this in the future. That's part of the goal, right, Megan? Yeah, that's correct. One of the things that I'm most excited about this project is that it will follow me for probably my entire graduate school career. So for the first part, we'll be collecting the data, having all of the volunteers make the classifications. But then afterward, I'll be building machine learning algorithms using the labeled training set from RB Alone in the Universe to help out with future UCLA study searches. So thank you again to the Planetary Society for allowing me to do that and really pursue something that I'm so passionate about in both outreach and machine learning and study. Right. It will be for the UCLA SETI, it will be the second machine learning application. Our previous graduate student, Paul Pinchuk, who got his PhD in SETI a couple of years ago, built our first machine learning application. And for that application, we had to create uh, a training set to train the algorithm by ourselves. In this instance, we're really excited to have the help of all these volunteer scientists to create the label training set. And that's why we're looking to get 20,000 to 100,000 images classified, because the larger the training set, the more powerful the algorithm will be at classifying the, the signals. So Jean-Luc, if this project does find some signals that might be really interesting, might indicate that there's intelligent life out there, what are the next follow-up steps to actually verify that data? Yeah, that's a really important question. We describe on our platform various steps that we will go through to do the confirmation steps that we need to do. Uh, so first of all, there are things that we can do internally uh, within UCLA SETI to eliminate certain signals that have been identified as potentially interesting on the platform. So we'll first run those tests. If the signal passes those tests, then we would need to do something else. And that something else involves reobserving that direction on the sky with the Green Bank Telescope, with other telescopes, sending the data through other teams so that they can process the same data through their pipelines, just going through the general scientific method of confirmation, verifying reproducibility, and so on and so forth. If all these tests are successful, then we will be absolutely elated because we'll have you know really important um, finding. So those are the sort of steps that we'll be going through. If you want to participate in this project, please check out their website, arewealone.earth, or you can find it on our planetary radio page for this project. And honestly, trying to figure out if we're alone in the universe has got to be one of the most fulfilling and challenging mysteries I can think of. So thank you both for pursuing this larger question and for everything you've done to open this project up to everyone else. I know it's going to be really meaningful to a lot of our listeners that they get to participate in this in a meaningful way. So thank you. And thanks again to Planetary Society members for enabling it. Uh, it's a great source of satisfaction uh, to me and I imagine to Megan as well to be able to uh, share our, our excitement and invite others to contribute meaningfully to the search. 
I really appreciate both of you joining me today, Jean-Luc and Megan. Hopefully someday when you actually find a really cool signal amongst the data, you can come back and tell us all about it. We'll be happy to do that. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I've been looking forward to the release of this Zooniverse project for months, and I hope that some of you will join me in helping to analyze the data. We can accomplish so much when we work together on these kinds of projects. And if the search for extraterrestrial intelligence isn't your thing, Zooniverse offers a wealth of volunteer research projects that you can get engaged with, including everything from cloud spotting on Mars to hunting for exoplanets. Happy data analysis, everyone! You can find the extended version of my interview with Jean-Luc Margot and Megan Lee, along with a bonus segment marking the 10th anniversary of the Chelyabinsk meteor event in the podcast and online version of this show at planetary.org radio, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'll be right back for What's Up after this short break. Hi, this is Kate from the Planetary Society. How does space spark your creativity? We want to hear from you. Whether you make cosmic art take photos through a telescope, write haikus about the planets, or invent space games for your family. Really any creative activity that's space-related. We invite you to share it with us. You can add your work to our collection by emailing it to us at connect at planetary.org. That's connect at planetary.org. Thanks! Hello, I'm George Takei, and as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. And now it's time for What's Up with Dr. Bruce Betts the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. As the person that's been at the helm of our science and technology empowered by the public grant program, you've got to be ecstatic that we actually have one of our grant winning projects finally launched. Yes, it's wonderful. And we'll see if we find aliens or not, but one way or the other, we'll do a better, a better job looking for them and getting rid of that pesky human interference. So what's up, Bruce? Just keep mentioning, because it's so spectacular, Venus over in the western horizon after sunset. It's getting closer to Jupiter over the next couple of weeks as Jupiter gets lower in the sky and Venus gets higher. And on March 1st, they'll be hanging out very close together. Meantime, you can get some nice conjunctions with the crescent moon. So on February 21st, crescent moon is hanging out near Venus, which is near Jupiter. February 22nd, crescent moon is near Jupiter, which is near Venus. And then if you rotate and look high up in the sky, you'll see a couple of reddish things. And one of those is Mars, and the somewhat dimmer one is Aldebaran in Taurus. So good good planet stuff going on right now. We move on to this week in space history. It was a busy week, as you probably are celebrating a birthday or two this week. 650 years ago, Nicholas Copernicus was born who would uh, revolutionize us back to starting to think heavily about the heliocentric view of the universe. 91 years later, Galileo was born during this week, whose observations would cement that, at least over time. And uh, we jump forward several hundred years. 1962, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. And 10 years ago, as you heard, 
The Chelyabinsk bolide exploded over Chelyabinsk, Russia, causing injuries and reminding us, hey, this planetary defense thing that's one of our core enterprises in the planetary society is actually important. And these impacts, they don't happen often, but they do happen. We're working on it. We're working on it. Trying to save the Earth, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's the goal. Let us move on, shall we, to random space fact. That was a good one. <laughs> the moon. The Earth's moon in the sky, or otherwise, moves about one moon diameter in about one hour. So relative to the background stars. This is not the rotation of the Earth uh, causing it to move you know, 15 degrees or so an hour. This is actually moving across the sky. It just the math works out that it's about one moon diameter in one hour, which allows you with, by the way, lunar eclipses to get an estimate of how long it takes uh, about an hour for the moon to fully enter total lunar eclipse. Let's move on to the trivia contest. I asked you this this whole green comet 50,000 year thing, comet ZTF, C2022 E3. What does ZTF mean? How'd we do? We did well. Everyone got this one right. Um, I am sure several of them used Google, but the ZTF in comet 2022 E3 ZTF stands for Zwicky Transient Facility. The green comet was first discovered by the Zwicky Transient Facility's Wide Field Survey Camera, which is attached to the Samuel Ocean Telescope at Palomar Observatory in California. And bonus info, Zwicky in the Zwicky Transient Facility refers to the astronomer Fritz Zwicky, who was the first person to use the virial theorem to first propose that dark matter existed, which is wild. <laughs> Yeah, he was quite a character. Public-private partnership with NSF, National Science Foundation, and a whole giant consortium of universities led by Caltech. Uh, and Zwicky was a professor at Caltech, Swiss uh, astronomer, came to Caltech, did that, uh, partied with neutron stars. So they named the Zwicky Transient Facility, and they imaged the entire northern sky every two days, looking for stuff that's changed. Our winner this week, the dice have spoken, is Justin Saucier from Orlando, Florida, USA. I love this because Justin wrote us to say that he's actually an engineer at Cape Canaveral Space Force Station, which sounds like a really fun job. So Justin, you will be winning a copy of This Year in Space, which is a book by the Royal Astronomical Society Supermassive podcast. So we'll be delivering that to your door. Most excellent uh, way to keep things flying down there in Florida. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there now, especially with all of the commercial spacecraft and everything getting involved. That place is hopping. Yeah, the manatees, the alligators, it's, it's craziness. We also got some great messages. Uh, one from Jacqueline Arndt from Mount Dora, Florida, who says, I really liked this week's podcast because my son is studying planetary science and is doing research on exoplanets. And of course, she's referring to our February 1st show about the first confirmed exoplanet from JWST. We wish your son all the luck in his exoplanetary research, Jacqueline. Yes, definitely. Congratulations on, hey, go find some planets. Tell us what their atmospheres are like. That'd be sweet. Kind of gassy. See, I don't even have to do the research. I know the answer. <laughs> Just that kind of guy. All right, let us uh, move on to the new trivia question. As of when this will first air, so to be specific, February 15th, 2023. Of the people on board the International Space Station, as of that date, who has had the most space flights? 
Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. And you have until Wednesday, February 22nd at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us your answer. The winner is going to receive a Planetary Society beanie. And I love these because they're so soft and comfy inside. I have one at home. Gasp, our old logo, which is still very cool. Cool. Planetary Society beanies. All right, everybody. Go out there. Look up the night sky and think about your favorite exclamation starting with the letter Z. Zounds? Zowie! Zoinks! Zoinks! Thank you and good night. Thanks, Bruce. We've reached the end of this week's episode of Planetary Radio, but we'll be back next week with Minakshi Wadwa, Principal Scientist for the Mars Sample Return Mission at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by our ET-loving members. You can join us as we continue to search for life on other worlds at planetary.org join. Mark Hilverta and Ray Paoletta are our associate producers. Matt Kaplan, Planetary Radio's creator and former host, is this week's audio editor. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. And until next week, Ad Astra. Ad Astra.